Children are being dismissed to Children's Church. Would you please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 15. The topic of the previous chapter, Romans 14, has been on how, how do we decide debatable matters? How, how do we decide those gray areas of the Christian life? Years ago when I was a, a pastor of a Baptist church, someone from another abomination, <clears throat> I mean denomination, asked me, in all seriousness, can you, as a Baptist, dance? I said, I couldn't dance if I was an Episcopalian. <laughs> Romans 14 gives us um, some great guidance in how to work through these issues of debatable matters. And chiefly, as the, as the chapter ends to be able to do it of faith, to, to know that it's by faith that you are doing whatever you, you decide. But also, it tells us that we need to consider our brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, what is meaningful to them, what would edify them, or on the other hand, what might make them stumble. Also, we do it as, as to the Lord because it is to the Lord that we live or die. And so, it must be done to Him. Must be done with a, a clean heart and conscience, being fully persuaded in our own minds that these are the things that God would have us do, or these are the things that God would not have us do. Well, now in Romans 15, verse 1 through 6, Paul brings this topic to a conclusion, reminding us that whatever our decision is, it needs to be pleasing to others. And it needs to bring praise to God. It needs to be pleasing to others. And it needs to bring praise to God. Now Paul has already told us this in a number of different ways in the last several chapters. Uh, let me just give you a quick review of those. If you go back to Romans 12. This is basically the idea of loving God and loving others, isn't it? Pleasing others and praising God that we think of them before ourselves. In Romans 12:1, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. So if you are thinking through debatable matters, shouldn't this come to bear on that on what you're thinking? If I'm totally given to God, my body is a living sacrifice to him, well, that's going to do a lot to guide my thinking. But also, in the same chapter, verse 10, it's not only looking at what, what God wants, what He would have me do, but looking at how this is going to impact others. Verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, in, in honor giving preference to one another. So putting others before ourselves as we, we work through these issues. Romans 13, verse 8 Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
And of course, the two great commandments is to love God first above all, but to other, then love others. And so, if we, as we think through these issues, if we are loving other people and loving God, then we will come to the right conclusions. In chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That's the bottom line. We belong to Him. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that He might be Lord, both the dead and the living. And so it is pleasing God and praising Him with our life that should guide us in these decisions. But also, verse 15 of the Romans uh, 14. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Verse 19. Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Verse 21. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So as, as you can see in the last several chapters, Paul has already again and again and again made this point that we love God and we love others. Or the way that he's going to word it in these next six verses is that in our decisions about these debatable matters, that we would seek to be pleasing to others and we would seek to bring praise and glory to God. So let's look at chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were, were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this wonderful passage of Scripture, we pray that you would open our hearts to it by your Holy Spirit and plant it in, into our hearts that we might walk in your ways and be fully pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I said, basically we could divide this into two main topics. One is to be pleasing to others, and the other is to praise God in whatever we do. <clears throat> now, the first several verses are about pleasing others. Verse 1 says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. So, we who are strong, well, who are the strong? Well, that's me. And that's you, of course. All of you. You're all strong, right? How do you view yourself in relation to others? Are you the weak brother or sister? Or are you the strong one? Most people think they're the strong ones. Um, it's like the survey I, I saw recently where over 90% of people 
considered themselves to be above average. <laughs> but really, that's how we view ourselves. You know, we're, we're the strong one. If I decide I can do this, then it's because, well, you know, I'm stronger in the faith, and I'm able, I have the Christian liberty to do that. If you take the same topic and I decide I can't do this, well, it's because I have convictions, after all, because I'm stronger in the faith. Because, think about it this way. If, if I'm thinking through these topics and I'm thinking, okay, I'm weak in this, then my natural tendency would be to want to change and do something different. But I kind of like the things that I've chosen to do. And so I, I tend to think, well, I'm strong in this area. Most of us tend to think we're the strong ones. So Paul is putting himself in that category. He says, we who are strong, okay, if you think you're strong, then what is our obligation? What are, are the obligations of the strong? <clears throat> we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. We, we ought. The word me, ought means that we owe a debt. It's a moral obligation. Not just something you do if you feel like it. It's a, an obligation, a debt you owe. It's like if your mortgage company were to say, you know, you really ought to send in that payment. They're not merely making a suggestion. You, you have to do it, right? Or they're going to take your home. <clears throat> and that's the force of this word here. This is something binding upon us. We, we owe a debt to our brothers and sisters in Christ in this matter. We who are strong ought to bear with the, the scruples or the weaknesses of the weak. We ought to bear with them. Now that word bear <clears throat> can be taken in a wrong way. Sometimes people, they read that word and they think something like it means to endure. Like you ought to bear with, you ought to put up with, you ought to endure. But the word doesn't mean to put up. The word literally means to lift up. You see, we don't just put up with one another. We lift up one another. Everywhere else that word is translated, it's in that, with that usage, the idea of lifting someone up. It could be lifting up to carry something, or, but also metaphorically lifting up someone. So we don't just put up, we lift up one another. The same idea in Galatians 6.2 where Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To bear one another's burdens is to, to lift up. To help them carry that, to, to lift it up. To bear with the scruples or the, the weaknesses of the weak. And Paul uses two different words for the idea of weakness here. The, the first one, one uh, New King James says scruples. Some translations say, I think New American Standard says weaknesses, which is good. The same word that Paul is used in verse four, uh, chapter 14 for weakness. The second word for, weakness, for weak is the idea of no strength. Um, there's one translation that says to, to bear or lift up the, the failings of the weak. And I, I think that's an unfortunate translation because it gets 
gives it a kind of moral flavor to it, which is certainly not Paul's intent in all of chapter 14. He's never saying that those people have a moral failing. He's saying that they have a personal conviction that is different. And they do it as unto the Lord. And so if God accepts them, then so should you. So just saying that the idea of the translation failings is probably not too good. But the the scruples or the, the weaknesses, those areas that maybe they don't feel as strong as you do in a certain area, what do you do about that? Well, if they are truly weak, what is our loving response to them? It's, it's to lift them up. And not to please ourselves. Which really is the main problem, isn't it? As we, the way we look at each other or make our decisions, it's so much tied into what I want. To please ourselves. Paul says, don't think about what is pleasing to you first and foremost, but look to please others. That's hard for us to do. We so much want to live for self. You who are strong ought to lift up those weaknesses of those who are not as strong as you are and not seek to please yourself. But verse 2, focus on the good of others. Verse 2 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Let each of us, whether you consider yourself strong or weak or in between, let every one of us do this, please his neighbor. Now, of course, the idea of the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan comes to mind if you think about, well, what does it mean to please your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? And, of course, God used that story of the Good Samaritan to, to point out even someone who was considered an outcast, a Samaritan of all people, um, could have sympathy and pity and love for someone not like themselves. And so, if that's true, the Good Samaritan could do that. Could, could you have sympathy and love for someone who is not like yourself in, in their decisions about debatable matters? Now, because the, uh, the context of Romans 14 is very clearly those in the church, those who belong to Christ, uh, the idea of neighbor here is not probably the, the widest sense of, uh, like, the, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, which would mean anyone, but the neighbor here would be those among your brothers and sisters who might have a difference of opinion with you on debatable matters, uh, if they are weak, then you seek to minister to them uh, and to please them. To please, again, is not just to put up with, but to seek to, to bless them in these things. Have you ever thought about it this way and as you're deciding a debatable matter? How can I bless other people by my decision? Isn't it more like, where's the line and what can I get away with? How far can I go and what can I do to please me? Well, what if we thought about how, how can I please others and bless others by my decision? Well, how are we going to 
bless them, please them. Paul specifies this, and I'm so glad he does, because this brings some clarity to it. To, to please them for their good. It is a focus on the good of others, not, not necessarily how good they are. That's not what I mean, or that's not what Paul means, but rather focusing on to do them good. So let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Well, this helps define and bring some boundaries to what it means to please others. Because after all, you could really go astray with this thought, couldn't you? If, if we were just left with the thought that, you know, when you leave here today, you ought to go out and please others. Do whatever they want to please others. That's going to very quickly lead to sin, isn't it? Because if, what does your neighbor want to do? Well, maybe not glorify God. So if you're going to please your neighbor and they don't want to glorify God and they want you to do something that's not going to be very glorifying to God, so are you supposed to please Him in that? Well, no. It, you, you do it for their good. You don't do it for evil. And remember these, uh, as Pastor Jeremy pointed out a couple times in chapter 14, this is not talking about areas of sin. This is not talking about areas where the Bible is clearly communicating, you don't do this and you do this. This is talking about those gray areas. So if the idea is we want to bless one another, especially those in our flock, for good. Look also at Galatians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Galatians 1, starting at verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You see, if your goal in life is just to please men, you, you are going to very quickly get away from God. So it's, it's not just pleasing men. When it comes to issues like the gospel truth, then you please God. When it comes to areas of biblical direction, you please God. But if there's a way that you can please God and please others, you do that. Whatever you do has to be pleasing to God. So Paul is not saying please others instead of pleasing God. He's saying please others instead of pleasing self. For their good. And to build them up. To, to, for their edification. Leading to edification. Leading to, to the building up of their life. In my decision about this debatable matter, will it help to lift them up and will it help to build them up in the faith? Paul had previously said the same kind of thing in chapter 14, verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue 
Pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. So as we're thinking through these, uh, these decisions, what can I do? What should I do? Pursue the things which make for peace and by which one may edify, build up another. Seek to please your neighbor for his good and leading to the building up of, of each other. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So, sure, I can eat this kind of food now that I couldn't beforehand. I can have a, a, a ham sandwich or something, but all things are lawful for me. But just because something is lawful, yeah, you can do that. Is it the best thing to do? It's possible to do, but is it the best thing to do? All things are lawful, but not everything is helpful. Will this help me in my Christian life, in my testimony? Will it bring praise to God? Is it helpful? And secondly, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Sure, I can get away with doing it, but is, is that the standard? I can get away with it? Or just that it's lawful? Or should it be higher? Like, this is going to bless other people and help them on their road to Christ. Help build them up. Verse 24, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That's the idea of pleasing others instead of self. Now, let's, let's go back to Romans 15, verse 3 now. So we saw the obligations of the strong in verse 1, the need to focus on the good of others in verse 2, and now the example of Christ in verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For even Christ, um, I believe Paul purposely uses Christ here to designate our Lord because that's a reminder of his Messiahship, the word Christ being pointing to the Old Testament anointed one who would be the Messiah because of what he's going to say here. He, the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah who came, did not come to please himself. Well, that's obvious as we look at his life and especially as his, at his death. He didn't come to please himself, though if anyone in all creation could have ever rightfully pleased himself, it would have been Christ. But he didn't come to do that. He even said, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Look what Paul says about him. He didn't come to please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He came primarily to please God, to do the work of the Father that, 
that God had sent him to do. The reproaches of those who reproached you. Talking about God. All sin is against God. And the reproaches of all men that were against God, as they were hurled at God from the time beginning, from the sin in the garden to today, all those sins hurled against God. As David said in Psalm 51, regarding the sin of Bathsheba and even the death of Uriah, David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Every sin is thrown against God. And Jesus is saying here, in this messianic psalm, Psalm 69, those reproaches against you, all those sins hurled against God, fell on me. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him, the Christ, the Messiah, the servant who would die. The Lord has laid upon him the sin of us all. The reproaches that were hurled against God fell upon Christ. That is the example from the cross. And Paul's point here is that since Jesus was willing to take all those reproaches upon himself, is it too much for you to sacrifice to lift up your weaker brother or sister? To minister to them instead of yourself? To seek not to please yourself, but to please others? Is it too much of a sacrifice for you? Hebrews 12.3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So, we are, first of all, um, told to seek to please others in our decisions. But finally, and most importantly, to seek to praise God. We're praising God, first of all, for His Scriptures, verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Praising God for the Scriptures. Having brought up the Scriptures in verse 3, Paul going back to the Old Testament, Psalm 69, to to, uh, bring this verse to bear on the issue... He continues on with a thought about the Scriptures. That whatever things were written beforehand were written for our learning or instruction. Whatever things. That means all things. You go back and read any chapter of the Old Testament, whatever things were written. Those things were written for us for, to instruct us. They were uh, the things written beforehand Primarily talking about the Old Testament because Paul has brought up the, um, a verse from the Old Testament. Those things from the Old Testament, remember at the time Paul was writing uh, the book of Romans, 
They didn't have the completed New Testament yet. It's still being composed and copied and sent around. So he's mostly he's talking about the Old Testament. So those things which are written before were written for our learning. Those Old Testament scriptures were written to address the times in which they were written. They, they recorded the events. They were written to bring God's word to bear on the situations and to provide God's direction and conviction and encouragement and commands for them. It was to speak from heaven regarding matters on earth. But they were also written for us to instruct us in the ways of God. That's why we still need to read and to learn from the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We have been set free from the law of the Old Testament, but we still benefit from the instruction of the Old Testament. Whatever things were written beforehand were written to teach us, to instruct us. There's a further reason in this, not just to gain some knowledge, but why were they written for our learning? Here's a purpose statement. That we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. The reason is to provide hope so that we might have hope. Where are you looking for hope? Hope is certainly one of the greatest needs of our time. It's one of the most common needs of individuals. So I do counseling. think how often what what these people need most right now is hope. And <clears throat> that hope comes through the scriptures. It's the, it's the antidote to depression. It's the antidote to anxiety. Something that God supplies for us. The problem is that people so often look in the wrong place for hope. And Next week, the passage we're going to look at is going to talk even more about this topic of hope, and we'll explore that more. But just note for now, as verse 4 says, that the Scriptures were written for, for our instruction to give us hope. And we are praising God for His patience and comfort. Verse 4 and 5 <clears throat> For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Note that this, uh, this hope comes through the scriptures and comes specifically through the patience and comfort that the scriptures provide for us. The word patience means endurance or steadfastness. It means to persevere the, and the word of God teaches us what it means to persevere and how we can persevere and be steadfast in the faith and the scriptures teach us about comfort or consolation this word for comfort is the same word that Jesus uses in John 16 about the Holy Spirit who, who he was going to send to them the comforter who was to come 
This kind of comfort brings an encouragement to our lives. And through the, the patience and comfort, through the, the endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Notice it is of the Scriptures that this patience and comfort come from. This endurance, this encouragement are found in the Scriptures. They are derived from the Word of God. This is where we go. You don't have to go to bookstores and look for books on hope and comfort and patience and all that stuff. You've got it right here. God said, I wrote a book for you about that. You want hope? Here it is. It's in here. That we, through these scriptures, through the patience and comfort of these scriptures, might have hope. Paul also says that they come through God, verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. May the God of patience and comfort, using the same words again, so the patience and comfort come through scriptures, they also come through God. Now we rightly say that this is, this Bible is the very word of God. And why does it have power? It doesn't have power because of the, the leather binding, which mine is coming apart anyways, or the kind of paper or the kind of ink that is used. None of those things are what give it power, right? You wouldn't have someone you know, do a blessing over it to give it power. Why does it have any power at all? Because it is God's word. It is derived from him. He gave it through thousands of years as he by his Holy Spirit, chose men to use as instruments to record his very words, the inerrant word of God that he empowers. And through his spirit, as we read this, his spirit puts those words into our hearts and makes them come alive. And it's like a two-edged sword. It's like a hammer. It's like a fire. It's like living waters. Because God gives it the power. So the patience and comfort which bring hope come from the scriptures, but that's because they are given power by God. Now may the God of patience and comfort. So the, another way to think of it is, it's like the Bible is a faucet and God is the water source. Now, if you had just a faucet that's not connected to something, you go to Home Depot this afternoon, you buy a faucet and try turning it on. Well, one of these things is broken. Nothing is coming out of this faucet. Why? Because it has to be plugged into a source. And God gives his living water through the Bible because he is the source. The faucet is the word of God, and we have to open it up turn it on but God is the water source behind it and it flows through this faucet this is the faucet of God's word through which he gives patience and comfort and by which we get hope because of those things <clears throat> so we are praising God for his 
his scriptures and the patience and comfort, you may wonder, well, what does that have to do with making decisions on debatable matters? Well, it's because as we go to God's word and we, we learn about the hope that he has for us, that we see that these things about debatable matters are pretty small things compared to the glory yet to be revealed in us. To the hope that he has set aside for us. And we are able to handle those things a whole lot better with the strength that comes from the instruction of God's word. Finally, we are praising God for, we are praising God together, which is to his glory. Verse 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you might be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus means according to the way that Christ did, going back to the example from the cross. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to be like-minded means to be of, to be of the same mind. To, we might have differences of opinion on some debatable issues, sure, but we have, are of the same mind, the same opinion, the same heart that God is most important in our life. That we want to praise Him together. We want to glorify God together. The ultimate purpose of Paul's instruction is that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. And that, that's the bottom line issue. Are we glorifying God through our decisions? Not, what do I have liberty to do? What should I keep you from doing? <laughs> but can I bring glory to God through my decision? One more verse and, or passage and we'll be done. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10 for one more look at that. First Corinthians 10, I just remind you of verse 23 and 24 and then verse 31. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own, but each one seek others' well-being. That is the first part of what Paul was saying in Romans 15. Seek to build up, edify, do good, please uh, your brothers and sisters. Here's the second part, verse 31. Therefore, whatever you decide about this, whether you eat or drink or you don't eat and don't drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all of it to the glory of God. Now there's the final test. Can I do this to the glory of God? Yes or no? Well, if it's making my brother stumble, that's not to God's glory, is it? 
If it's going against my conscience, if I'm not doing it by faith, that's not going to bring God glory. And so that's why Paul spent so much time in Romans 14 about all those kinds of issues. But to just bring it down now to the close, Paul ends with this thought. Do it all to the glory of God. If you in your own heart know this is for God's glory, I'm doing this, God, I, because I want to glorify you. Whatever I do, then I can do that with a clean heart and conscience. I'll have the worship team come forward as we pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your instruction.